Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, senior pastor. It's great to see you. And if you have your Bible, if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, it's actually the second book in the Bible. That helps you at all. Uh, but uh, it's good to see you this weekend. We're starting this brand new series called Shoulda, Coulda, Woulda. We're talking about regrets in life. And today we're going to talk about missed opportunities. And, um, and we're going to talk about what happens with these missed opportunities in life and, and how do you reconcile those things. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like you were completely embarrassed because you swung and you missed, you tried and you failed, you crashed and you burned? Anybody you ever have that type of, a, okay, come on, the rest of you are liars. You had that time. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I speak publicly for a living. That's what I do. And the first time that I spoke publicly, I was in high school, freshman in high school, and when I got done, it was in a class setting, I fainted, like just crashed into the table, into the desks. And I have a, a niece who's a senior in high school where I went, and she said, to this day, Uncle Aaron, they still talk, that teacher, I have that teacher, and she talks about you fainting after you gave this speech. Um, you just have those times where you're like, yeah, that's really what you want to be known for, Right. And, uh, and you have those times where you try something and it doesn't work out, or you swing and you miss. You ever try to play golf, tennis, anything that deals with hand-eye coordination? Yeah, it just, I mean, you just, and you hope no one is looking, but, but unfortunately, if you have a grandstand, then, then it's just embarrassing. And you feel this sense of embarrassment. And that can happen in life. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, it can happen in your life where you feel like, man, I tried to do something, it didn't work out. I tried to do something I thought God wanted me to do, and it didn't work out. I've been down this road before, and, uh, and that well, you've missed it. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at people in the Bible uh, who basically who had regrets and who lived with regrets and processed life through regrets. And Because I think most people think that the Bible is this book of collection of stories of these people that were perfect. And the Bible says that there's only one person in the entire book that was perfect. His name is Jesus. The rest of the people were all jacked up. I'm, I'm just telling you. They, there were some severely messed up people. We're going to talk about those people. Next weekend, we're going to talk about a guy who completely was working for God, completely doing God's plan, lived for God, and then middle way through his life, he crashes and burns and blows up in sin. And how can you do that? How can you, how can you serve God for so many years? How can you do seemingly right things? And then all of a sudden, in the midst of following God, find yourself in an affair. Find yourself crashing and burning in sin. Find yourself completely away from God. How do you do that, and how do you get back to God? We're going to talk about that next weekend. I mean, the Bible is full of people. And today, we're going to look at a person named Moses who basically is, is a classic example of missed opportunity. Moses is not, it's not that his life is, um, how do you say it? I don't think anywhere in scripture where it's like, well, if you do, you know, it's like some formula to, to how to reconcile missed opportunities. But, but rather, it, but it's a story, it's an account of someone who struggles through this. And there are principles in scripture that kind of help us understand how to reconcile those things. And, and before we get to chapter three, you got to get a little bit of background uh, on Moses to understand where he's at. You have to understand that, that in Genesis, we have this chronological historical document that talks about from the creation of the earth all the way through the flood, all the way through Adam and Eve and, 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 and you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it ends with the nation of Israel being saved because of a man named Joseph, a Hebrew 
that was sold into slavery, that God specifically appointed to a specific period in Israel's history, and a time of famine, famine that was hitting that region of the world. And he was, the Bible says, second in charge, second to the, to, to, to the Pharaoh himself of the, land, of the nation of Egypt. And he's there, and in doing that, the nation of Israel is saved. And what happens is, is because of the favor that Joseph, this Hebrew, this Israeli, has in this position of prominence in the Egyptian government, they allow him to bring his people and his family to Egypt. That's how they get there. That's how Moses winds up in Egypt. And they get there. And what happens is, is that God blesses them, which we see all the way through Scripture. God blesses his people. He blesses his people. He blesses his people. And, and so Israel's blessed, and then people don't like it, and they get scared, and so they try to eradicate them. And so there's this, this genocide that happens all throughout history of trying to destroy God's people. There's a spiritual aspect to this, but then there's also a very real aspect to this. And we find in Exodus chapter 1, that's what's happened, is Joseph is dead. The legacy of what he did for, for Egypt is dead. And all of a sudden, Egypt is looking at these Israelites, these Hebrews, and how they're growing in numbers, and they become scared for their own lifestyle. And you have to understand this about Egypt. Egypt was a very, very advanced culture. If you do Western Civilization 101 at any state, college, or university, uh, you learn about that how advanced the Egyptians were. They, they were engineering geniuses. There were things that they did that we still don't understand how they did that. They understood in order for their cities to, to grow and to expand, they'd have to deal with waste management. So they, they had a, a, an aqueduct system, basically, that would allow for waste management and for basically what you would call indoor plumbing to exist in that day and age. Uh, way advanced. They understood how to deal with, with air currents in order to cool buildings internally, i.e. air conditioning. This is pre, um, you know rooftop units and HVAC units and, and electricity, but they realized how to do this, and they were far more advanced. And so uh, they were a very intellectual people. They were a very a spiritual people, they, but they were very astute people. Uh, they, they, they were just an advanced civilization. And so in all of this, uh, the nation of Israel is growing. They want to eradicate them. And so in chapter 1, we see what happens is, is that they go in to basically start a genocide, and they're going to kill all the firstborn. Just kill them. Moses' mother takes, takes Moses and she puts him in this river and she sends him downstream. And she knew that's where the ladies, the women, uh, uh, the Egyptian women would go to bathe. Thinking that here's what they would do. They would see this baby. They would have compassion on this baby. And they would take this baby in as their own. Why? Because infertility existed then the same way it does now. The same way if some mother took a baby to Mayfair Mall and left the baby there, somebody would find the baby. Within a matter of hours, if there was no mother that came forward, there would be a placement for that child. Why? Because there would be people saying, I'll take the baby, I'll adopt the baby, I'll take care of the baby. And that's what her mother, uh, uh, what Moses' mother decided and, and felt like she should do. And the person that finds this Hebrew boy is Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, brings him in, and the Bible says that she raises him as, his, as her own. And so that meant that Moses was, was in the best schools, was intellectually astute, was raised around this, uh, this aristocracy of, of this Egyptian nation and the hierarchy. He, he knew all, the, he, knew, he just knew how to deal with, with the social elite. He was well-spoken. He knew what to do. But in all of this, he still knew he was Hebrew. And I'm sure she probably told the story to him. 
And the Bible goes on to tell us that when Moses gets to a certain age, when he becomes a young man, he's probably 17, 18 years of age, that he begins to go to see how his people was, were living, the Israelites. And we understand they were under slavery and bondage, and, and we see all of that. And something in, in Moses' heart leaps out. It's, it's something that's there. That, hey, something could be done and something should be done. That's the thing that, that pulses through the veins of every person that has a gift of leadership. There's something when you see something, you go, something should be done about this and something could be done. Some, something needs to be different. Something, something. I don't care whether you, you, you work in business and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where this company, if they would just restructure it this way, here's how this could do. If you work in finance, if you just work this deal and this deal and this deal and this deal, here's how this could work. If you're a pastor of a local church, I, it's hard for me to go to church anywhere else because I'm constantly going, okay, they brought the lights down at this point in time. Okay, I'm going to time the message now. I'm serious. I know this is bad. But you, you, you pick apart every single thing because you become a student of. Because there's something inside of me that just says, how do we take this incredible message of Jesus Christ, this, this timeless message, and how do we communicate it to a world that so needs this message of hope in a way in which they're going to hear it and receive it and, and, and communicate it? And so what's happening with Moses is there's this gifting that's there. There's this calling that's there. And he doesn't understand it. He's not mature enough to really deal with it. He's not been mentored in this situation. But what it is is that God's called him to be the leader and the plight that he sees is the very thing that God will use to stir his heart to take three million Israelites and take them, i.e. the name of the book of Exodus, take them from the Exodus from slavery and poverty and, and, and punishment and take them out of Egypt to the promised land. And all this is coursing through his veins. You go, I don't read that in there. I'm telling you it's in there. Just read it. It's all there. And he sees one of his Hebrew brothers that was being mistreated. And this fires up. And what does an 18-year-old guy do when he sees something like that? He responds physically. Why? We don't have enough brains to respond mentally. We just, that's all we got. Right? Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, thank you. Don't shout me now when I'm preaching good. And so he goes and he murders this Egyptian. Why? Because he knew this guy was, he was a taskmaster. He had seen guys like this before. I mean, you can remember, he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. These were just low-level people that were taking out, that were basically abusing people, and they were taking out their frustration on these, these Hebrew slaves, and he, and he murders him. And as soon as he murders him, he realizes what he does. And the Bible says in chapter 2 that he buries him. He covers him in the sand. It's the same thing that our kids do when they're, when, 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 when they're, young, when they're first, second grade, or third, or four, or five, six years, seven years old, they do something wrong. What do they do? They immediately run to their room, or they run to your room, and they hide under, in the, they get in the bed, and they cover themselves in the covers. Because there's something about that that goes, I've just done something I shouldn't do, and I just, if they can't see me, I can't see them, they can't see me. And the, and the Hebrew people began to distance themselves from Moses because they don't want to be punished for his actions. And the Bible says that Moses flees. He leaves Egypt. He leaves everything that he knows. He leaves his education. He leaves, he leaves the, 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 his prominence. He leaves everything and he goes to the desert. A.K.A. he gets so far out of town nobody can find him. And the Bible says that when he gets there, he goes into this desert in Midian in the middle of nowhere. And he meets this guy named Jethro. 
not Jethro of Beverly Hillbillies, but Jethro, his father-in-law, and he marries one of Jethro's daughters, and he becomes a sheep herder for Jethro. And for 40 years, he lives his life in the obscurity of this Midian desert, working for his father-in-law, Jethro. The entire time thinking, what could have happened? What should have happened? How in the world did I get here? Many times in our lives, we run before we're sent, don't we? We run before we're sent. We, we get ahead. We, we have something going on inside of us, and we take off, and we run before we're sent. We retreat when we failed. We retreat after we failed. We, we, we blow up, we crash and burn, we miss, and then we just retreat. We just push away from I'll never be hurt like that again. I'll never find myself like that again. I'm going to get as far away from that as I possibly can. These are just human reactions and responses, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. And then we resist when we're called. We resist when we're called. Because there's no way God could use me because of. There's no way I could ever be redeemed of this because of. There's no redemption in this situation. You don't know my story. You don't understand. Yeah, that's in the Bible and great for Moses. But Moses wasn't a person like me. Oh, yeah? The Bible says that he was. Well, how are you so sure that, that Moses thought about this murderous situation he was in? Wouldn't you if you killed a man with your bare hands? Wouldn't you think about it every day of your life? Sure you would. Some of you have have snippets of your life that aren't even as severe as that. Maybe they are. That play over and over and over in your mind. Some of you, you've tried to absolve those things with alcohol or with drugs or or try to run from it. Some of you, you you try to take on those demons head on, but they're there over and over. And it's a reminder to you of what could have been and what should have been, but what's not. It's a coulda, shoulda, woulda moment. It's a deal of I am done. There's no way. I've missed it. I'm not perfect like you, Aaron. Don't laugh. I, I, you know, whatever. I mean, that's the deal. And that's what we think. I'm not perfect like the people in the Bible. Well, the people in the Bible were very jacked up. I don't know how else to tell you that. And that's exactly where we find Moses in chapter 3. Forty years later, backside of the desert. And I want you to understand something. If you don't hear anything else that I say, hear this. Although we may swing and miss, we may try and fail, we may crash and burn. We serve a God that does not. That's our safety. And the Bible says that his call on your life is without repentance, which means there's no exit out of that. That you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that though the enemy of your soul would go about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, that God, can redeem anything that the enemy would try to do to harm you, to destroy you, and to take you down. God can take those things, the things that you've done, the missed opportunities, the shoulda, coulda, woulda, the regrets of life, and flip them for his good. How does he do it? Well, we're going to see how he does it for Moses. I want to give you just a couple of things here, just a couple of principles, just a couple of things that we notice here in this account of Moses. First of all, one day, one day. I know this doesn't sound real deep, but if you're taking notes, write that down. One day, one day. Don't ever underestimate the power of one day. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is a mountain he'll come back to again. 
It's very interesting. And one day, God shows up. And one day, God speaks. And one day, God shatters a 40-year silence of Moses' life in one day. From the time that he flees Egypt, from the time that he's this young man with this visceral power and emotion that he's evoked when he sees the plight of his people, from that point until where we pick it up in in chapter 3, it's been 40 years. Historians tell us it was 40 years. 40 years of him wrestling with his thoughts. 40 years of him working for his father-in-law. 40, if that's not bad enough. 40 years of him tending sheep. Seriously, do you think the life of a shepherd is all that grand? Can you really imagine? They eat and they do their business. I mean, you're watching it. And let's put them in the pen, take them out of the pen. That's what he does for 40 years. Now remember, this is why I go back to what I said at the beginning. He was highly educated. He had learned at the best universities. He was raised in the king's house, in Pharaoh's house. He was never intended in the, in the very far re- recesses of his mind did he ever think, I'm going to live my life out on the backside of this desert and tend sheep for a guy named Jethro, and I'm going to live my life out here. But that's how he finds himself. How does he do it day in and day out? How do you do it? You know how many people I meet that go, well, I really don't know how I got here, but I just got here and just made a couple mistakes along the way, made a couple choices, got married, had some kids, got some responsibilities. I'm just kind of here. Trading days for dollars. I work 50 weeks a year, so I get two weekends and two weeks off a year. But on the inside, there's something that says I'm created for more than this. God's destined me for more than this. Not despising what I do, but there's just something more. There's just something greater. Or maybe you're in a situation where you had it and you lost it. Maybe you're in a situation where, where, where you're crashing as we speak. Or there's things in your life that as soon as they go public, it, it's done. It's a matter of time. It's where Moses was. But in one day, God speaks. I'm telling you, one phone call can change your life. One introduction to one person. One conversation, one moment with God, one day. The Bible says, Jesus says that God works in day-tight compartments. He says that forget yesterday, it's already passed. So don't weep over yesterday. And don't worry about for tomorrow because tomorrow hasn't come. But take care of today because today has enough issues and concern of itself. Even the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus tells the disciples, which he's telling us to pray in this manner, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Because all throughout Scripture, God doesn't give more than you need. He gives just enough to get through the day. One day changes the life of Moses. Catch this. God speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. God speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. I'm just an ordinary person. So was Moses. And it was just an average, ordinary day doing his job. Forty years God hadn't spoken. Maybe it's been 40 years for you. Maybe it hasn't. One day. One bush. This is his experience. One bush changes it all. Verse 2 and verse 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, understand this. In this desert climate that Moses was living and working, 
It was not uncommon for a bush, for the, for the, the temperatures of the desert to get so hot and so high that, that the bushes would almost combust. It would just, the, the, the combustion would just, it would take over. And so to see that was, I mean, it wasn't like it happened every day, but it happened. But the thing about this bush wasn't the fact that the bush was on fire. It was the fact that it wasn't being consumed. He's seeing this fire, and that's us, right? There's something shiny right there we go. You know, that's what we do, right? What, what's that over there? I mean, that's the reason why, I mean, you, you know, people, you, you can drive down the expressway, and all of a sudden you see flashing lights. Everybody just slows down, and you get past it, and you're like, it was just a, somebody pull, a police officer pulling a car over for speeding or whatever. But all three lanes of traffic just slow down. Well, they've got the guy pulled over. He's not going to catch you for speeding. That You were just doing 90, right, just before, right, two exits before. Come on, I'll, I follow some of you. And, and, and you know, I don't drive that fast. But anyhow, and so, you know, but everybody just, because, oh, there's something shiny. Oh, there's something. What, what's going on? There's something about that. And so God uses this thing. And I want you to understand this, that God does the extraordinary in our ordinary everyday circumstances. God does the extraordinary in our ordinary everyday circumstances. God takes this, this ordinary situation that Moses would have seen living in the desert, working in the desert, but he does something extraordinary to it. The bush is not consumed. Now, I want you to catch this. Verse 5 says that the ground was holy, not the bush. There's nothing holy about the bush. There's nothing, God's not, God's not in the bush. God's not, it's not, the bush isn't God. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, God will appear, but he only appears because he uses that to catch Moses' attention. What is it that God's using to catch your attention? That's the question to ask. Don't get all hooked up on the bush. Don't be looking for burning bushes on the side of the road. We're in Wisconsin. It doesn't work that way here. Right? Maybe it's a snowdrift for us. I don't know. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's in those moments. It's those ordinary things. And many times we just pass by. But it's those ordinary everyday moments that something extraordinary happens. That God does something a little different. He does something there. And all of a sudden, he's doing that just to catch your attention. He's doing that just to, just to bring you back to reality. He's doing that to shatter the 40-year silence. Why? Because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Why? Because he can redeem even the mistakes of your life. Why? Because he can take even the most dismal failures in your life and turn them around for your good. How does he do it? I don't know. I'm not God. I'm just telling you that he does. And he does it in Moses' life. Because in the life of a Christ follower, there's no such thing as coincidence or just circumstance. The Bible says that our steps are order of the Lord. Every day, I pray, Lord, because I just kind of use that prayer as an outline. And, and I'd encourage you that, it, you know, if, uh, if you have time, seven days a week at the Germantown campus and as well as on Sundays at the West Campus at 7, 14 a.m. At 7 a.m., the doors are open here and we pray. It's just kind of a come in and pray for as long as you want and leave. And so, uh, I, and, and every day I'm in town, I'm here. And, and, and every day that I pray, uh, and I try to do that on a regular basis, I ask God, today, Lord, there's going to be people that are going to cross my path. Today, there's going to be things. Today. Uh, Proverbs says, don't boast of tomorrow because you don't know what today will bring forward. You don't know. One day, listen, one day in one bush, God will use it. And one day, he'll use an, an extraordinary thing, an ordinary thing to do something extraordinary in. He, he'll use just an average thing in your life to all of a sudden show up. And if you'll just look, if you'll just pay attention, if you'll just stop what you're doing for just a second, he'll show up. And what does he do? One response. God responds. Just this one response. Look at it in verse 4 and verse 5. 
So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. If you, if you highlight or underline your Bible, I'd underline, circle, highlight that word when. So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to Moses from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Look at verse 5. Then, again, if you highlight or circle or underline, I'd, I'd do that word then. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals of your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I want you to understand something. When is always connected to then. When, verse 4, is always connected to then, verse 5. Every time in our life, when is always connected to then. When we will stop and listen to God, then he'll speak. When we will slow our lives down, then he'll show up. When we'll come to the end of our bad selves, then God will appear. When we quit trying and begin to trust then God will show up and, and provide. When we will trust the Lord with all of our heart, lean not to our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all our ways, then he'll guide and direct our paths. All throughout scripture, when is always connected to then. When we will stop, when we will slow, when we will listen, then God will show up. All throughout scripture. And what we realize is, is as we read on in that chapter, and I, and I would encourage you, just read it this week for yourself. God begins to tell Moses, the calling that I have for you is to go back to Egypt. And I want you to take my people and take them to the promised land. Moses, what you felt as a young man when you killed that Egyptian and you buried him and you left and you ran to this God-forsaken desert 40 years ago, oh, that was your action? That was your attempt but the reality is what was pulsing through your veins that caused you to create that regret was actually the call that I have on your life. And what I had to do was give you 40 years to sit out here and think about it and process it and come to the end of yourself, to your arrogance, to your pride, to your self-seeking ambition. And I've been waiting for you all these years, Moses, for you to listen. Because when you would stop... And when you'd quit pouting, and when you quit regretting, and when you'd quit shoulda, coulda, woulda, well, I wish I wouldn't have done that. If I'd have done this different, I wouldn't be here in this God-forsaken desert. When you would come to the end of yourself, when you would come to the end of you, then I'm able to speak to you, and that's why I'm coming to you today. And Moses gives them every excuse in the book, and God says, no, 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 no. Here's what's going to be different this time. Last time you did it on your own, this time I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to lead you. And I'm going to keep you. And if you read the rest of the book, Moses goes back. And that what God started in him as a young man, that, that he messed up and missed the opportunity of a lifetime. Forty years later, God redeems. God uses. And God takes him. And he uses him. To, to take three million Israelites out of slavery and bondage of the most powerful nation on the world at that time and bring them to the promise that God had given generations before to Abraham that God is still fulfilling today. That's powerful. 
That's the reason why Israel fights over Jerusalem today because that's the land that they were promised that Moses took them to. Oh, you may feel like you've missed an opportunity. Maybe you have. You may feel like you've got some shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and maybe you do. But I'm here to tell you, when we stop, when we look, when we'll listen, then God will speak. When we'll stop, when we'll look, when we'll listen, then God will speak. Here's what I want to do today. I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. The band's going to come back up. And here's how we're going to end today. It's going to be a little different. What we're going to do in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, they're going to lead us in worship. And for those of you that go, whoa, 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 dude. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I don't know what's about to happen. Just chill out. You don't have to run ask you to move or do anything. I'm not bringing any candles out or any snakes out or anything like that. But what we're going to do is give you an opportunity today at church. You've carved out this time to have a win-then moment. To listen to God and let Him speak to you. I don't know what regrets. I don't know what missed opportunities. I don't know what you're feeling and what you're facing. But I know a God who's in the business of redemption. Who can take your missed opportunities and turn them around for your good. Who can take your failures and help you to fail forward right into his plan. Who can take our messes and clean them up. And use them for our ultimate good. It's what he did for Moses. It's what he's done for us. It's what he wants to do for you. Would you pray with me today? Father, I just thank you. God, for your goodness and for your grace and for your mercy. And I just pray in the name of Jesus in these next few moments. God, that you will just show up. God, that you will just speak. God, that as we stop, as we look to you and as we listen, then God, we allow you to speak. I know that's a, a big thing to ask, Lord, but your word is full of all of these times. And you say in your word, God, if we'll knock, the door will be open. If we ask, God, you'll speak. Lord, if we will look for you, we will find you. So God, I remind you of your word today. And I pray for every single person in these next few moments. They need an answer from you. They need you to show up that you will do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.